Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of MMA FanCast. My name's Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson, and this episode is our UFC 239 (laughs) recap. So I'm a little disappointed in what occurred Saturday night for personal reasons, and that is because once again, I went one and two, and Luke bested me by going, I don't know, did, did you go three? I kind of went three and oh. It depends yeah. on how you look at it. I picked all the winners. The John Jones, which we'll talk about, I was wrong in almost every area in the sense that we were both way off as far as the style of winning and what happened in the fight. But technically three and oh, um, it, by picking winner. And then I was pretty solid on the other two as, as far as picking the method of victory as well. Yeah, so yeah, so straight win loss. You were three and oh, that puts you at uh, at five and one so far. Yep, uh, compared to my two and four, which it's okay (laughs) because I'm a big fan of the underdog. I see myself, I've always seen myself as an underdog once we started this. So, and gotcha. in, In my story, when I write the story, the underdog always comes out on top. So Got it. Sure. The Rocky Balboa. I got it. Yeah. All right. So the first fight we talked about on our preview was Masvidal and Ben Askren, Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren. And we had differing opinions on that. We know what happened. It was the fastest knockout in UFC history. I think Mm -hmm. they could actually, if they wanted to, they could probably go back, edit that to say three seconds, but it was five seconds which three seconds five seconds ten seconds doesn't matter it was a spectacular finish that nobody saw coming yeah it was um i i had picked uh masvidal to win by ko tko or ko and i had said round two uh because in my mind i was expecting ask him to kind of do what he does which is employ that that grappling and then i figured he does Tire at some point, so I figured round two. Masvidal just keeps looking better and better. Um, I'd still say the best Masvidal has ever looked in his career, and it's hard to not say uh, Saturday night, but realistically, a one knee, it's hard to really get anything from that. It's kind of like the Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo. It's it's exciting, uh, but what did you see? Two punches, right? In this case, one knee. Uh, But I really think his Darren Till win, um, and if you go back – um, if you go back, his Donald Cowboy Cerrone win. I think those are the two best wins he's had as far as really showing his well-roundedness and his striking. The Darren Till knockout is still just incredible. And that's kind of what gave me the confidence of 
picking him him to win. He was a, a fairly sizable underdog. Ben was, I think, negative two thirty something, um, and he was positive two two something in the in the betting lines. Um, but I think he's getting better and better. Um, not to hate on your buddy Ben, and I know you're, you're going to want to talk about it, but um, I I really think that the predictability of being a wrestler first and an MMA fighter second, and and this is not me talking out of turn. Um, Phil, uh, oh my goodness, nope, that's not his first name. Um, Feldner, Paul Feldner. Paul Feldner, yeah. Um, Paul, Paul Feldner was talking afterwards, and he trains in the same gym. He doesn't really train with um, Askram, and he says Askram has kind of always picked a certain people to be around him. Spars, but but doesn't really spar. And, and the, the interviewer couldn't quite get uh, Feldner to explain what that meant. But basically, he doesn't do a lot of striking. That's basically what it means. Doesn't do a ton of striking. Probably does a little bit, but he really depends on on wrestling. And Feldner even said, "I really hope that this causes Ben to to round out his game. He's always going to have wrestling, but it sounds like Paul, who is known for striking, would want to uh, spar with Ben. So hopefully Ben goes in that direction. I don't think this is the last of Ben. He's a he's a great talent. Incredible. This is his first loss. I do think though that Robbie and a few other in, in one have shown that." You have to get better in striking. And I compared Ben a little bit to Ronda Rousey in our preview because it was it was an obvious fault of Rousey's game that Misha Tate had pointed out earlier in their career, but it just didn't catch up to her until Holly Holm, whereas in this case, it was pointed out by at least Robbie and maybe a couple others before, and Maslow was able to, to really, in five seconds, you don't really know how the fight would have gone, but given the the fluid striking ability, the clean striking ability, and something that really worked well with Masvidal against Darren Till is he he strikes like I would want fighters to strike, very very precise, very clean, not not a not a lot of um, extra, and in some cases that that's the same thing that I would say about Amanda Nunez, and I said that in the preview as well. She's not as flashy or as maybe striking talented as a Holly Holm as far as the variety, but what she does works and she's just very precise with it. So that's my analysis. Back to you, buddy. Are you still crying for uh, Askrim? I know you're a big fan, so so how are you taking this loss? Well, here's here's my take on Askren. He's got the – he had a, an O on his record. Yes. Obviously – that is gone now. So I, I like to see things like that continue for as long as possible. You have Khabib um, famously you know, inside of uh, the octagon undefeated. And I think he's got you – know, we're not going to get into that talk, but I think Khabib's got yeah. a, 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 a tall task coming up, probably his toughest opponent to date, yeah. um, to keep that undefeated record going you know, without – a record without any blemishes. As far as the fight goes and Askren, I wanted him to win um, just mostly for his style. And I, I look at him as kind of like a throwback fighter to when USC oh, yeah. first started. And it was, it was very much style versus style, different styles facing off against each other. And Askren is such a wrestler-heavy UFC athlete that – you know what he's going to come in with. And even to some extent, I mentioned Khabib and what he does. There are big differences between those two, Khabib and Askren. But as yeah. far as Masvidal goes, 
I mentioned on another podcast that I thought it was a fluke, but I, I want to clarify. I don't think it was a fluke uh, because it could never happen. That was, that was skill. And you, you can't just come running in, throw a flying knee haphazardly without any repercussions. That's something you've actually got to work on. And, you know, for most UFC fans out there or fight fans, when they see something like that, they don't, they don't give a second thought to it. And it's just, wow, that was crazy. And that's what brings fans out of their seats, seeing things like that. But that was obvious skill with, uh, with what Masvidal did. And so kudos to him, hats off to him. I don't know where Askren goes uh, with this. That's a, that's a Dana White problem. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's why I think Paul Feldner, um, and, and hopefully that's something that is accepted by Ben, that if Ben can change some of his training um, and is open to it. I don't know, Ben. I barely – I knew of him in 1FC. He doesn't have a style I like at all. And, um, and obviously, I, I think that first thing, uh, before we start talking, should he be in the UFC or not, you know, anything like with Dana or who he should be fighting next, I think he just – he needs to, to take advantage of the tools. You know, we've been in, in, in – interviewing Dana White contender series in our black and uh, black and blue, no nope, red and blue corner um, and check out our red and uh, blue series. I think it's really going well, Jim, but something that's come up there it, over and over again is these regional fighters saying, I needed to go where I would get better. I needed to change camps or bring in more people or just, or just train with the people that are in the camp that I need to train with, you know, but they keep bringing that up. And it does concern me that according to, Feldner that Askren really wasn't doing that, that he was keeping himself kind of sequestered, it was working for him. So to me, I I would love to see Askren be as good as the GSP type who had incredible wrestling but could also really strike. Or even the even the Habib, he's not the greatest striker of all time, but he certainly can strike um, at a better level than maybe a Ben can. So I, I personally think two things I'd like Ben to improve. His training methods have to improve in the sense of training with better strikers in a closed gym where they're there to help you get better. And that's why I really like hearing Feldner say that. These aren't guys that want to beat you up and make a name off you, but but help you get better. I think that's important. And then also, I get it. We could talk physique all day, but I, I am concerned with a fighter that, that looks more like me when I take my shirt off and less like a pro fighter. And it's just one of those things where that is a certain level of discipline, a certain level of training. And I don't think he necessarily does it. I think it's easy when you have an O to get a certain level of confidence. So I would like him to be a little bit more serious. I mean, he trains with Paul Feldman. When that guy takes his shirt off, he looks like a fighter, right? I'm not saying he's got to be completely shredded, but I I do think a little bit more of the physical training uh, would then then lend itself well to a better striking. So I think if he can work on those two, and and, and hopefully he still has the passion for the sport. So that's my take. I would love to see Ben come back stronger. And I even said I'd like to see him get as as well-rounded as GSP. I don't know if that'll happen, but if somebody could base that wrestling base with striking, it would be a Ben Askham, and that would be great to see him do it. So hopefully he takes his learning experience, improves his physique, just because I do think that's, that that's part of the discipline process. And then as Paul Feldner pointed out, he's got to also improve 
what he does in his camp. You can't just train your strengths in camp. And the fact that there are people at the high, high level still only training what they want to train is ridiculous when you consider that we're interviewing fighters that most people have not yet heard yet that are getting ready to fight for Dana White. And they're all saying, you got to train everything. You got to train everything. You got to train everything because these throwback fighters that only want to be great at one, uh, thing like the Ronda Rousey with the judo and the and the arm bars eventually get kind of smashed down fairly fairly badly so on to the second fight which is the co-main event uh between the lioness and uh holly home are you ready to talk about that let's do it okay let's do it so prediction wise i i know you picked holly but i forget did you pick knockout or decision well i picked her as a decision and decision yeah I, 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 although I didn't speak out loud about it, I agreed with you in the sense that if Holly didn't win, if it didn't, if it went five rounds, it was Holly. Anything less than that was Nunes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, about right. And I flirted with the whole idea of, of Holly winning by decision, but I did pick, I think I said under, yeah, I said under three, other, under three rounds, I picked Nunes by, by knockout. And I, I did kind of have it wrong. I said, possibly a submission because of what Misha had done, where if you get Holly injured or Holly hurt in any way, then she is susceptible to the, but I did officially pick a TKO um, for Nunez. Um, it is also important to point out that even though she won by spectacular head kick and all that stuff, it is, it is important to point out that Holly's angles and Holly's uh, precision was working right up until it didn't work. And I think that's the thing that you really have to appreciate about Nunez is that she will get outstruck at times. Uh, she did a little bit against Cyborg and then knocked her out. She did a little bit, but this was in one round. In, in just over four minutes, she figured out Holly Holmes' reach, range, and incredible striking skill and was able to put it away. So so uh, what did you kind of think about that fight, particularly as it relates to Holly Holmes' career? She's now lost uh, five out of her last seven. She's won two out of her last seven, if my math's correct, because I believe she came into this fight um, having won two out of her last six. Well, it's like we're in a, a second uh, era of women's MMA when it comes to yeah. Nunes. Yeah. You had the, the first era, I would say, would be Ronda Rousey and how she ran through. Yep. Yep. All, and all uh, the fighters she fought and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, I look at that as more of who who is um, – Nunez going to take on next somebody that can pose uh, a real challenge and not say, not taking anything away from Holly because she she did inflict some damage and caught the yep. attention of Nunez which I think we we talked about this on the uh, the preview show in Fight IQ and more specific to John Jones but I, I think that's yeah. this fight against Holly really showed Amanda Nunez and her fight IQ and she made an adjustment she was able to pick up on it quick where Holly was throwing yep. those front leg kicks um the front leg kicks to uh, uh Amanda's front leg and her her thigh and knee area she caught her a couple times where she threw a fake and then double clutch on that kick and that's what uh, Amanda jumped on and that's where that knockout came from because mm -hmm. she made the adjustment mid-fight and rather quickly and that to me i attribute that to her fight iq and her coach yeah. and her coaches making her aware they probably had some tape on this and watched this and made her aware of of what she does 
and going back and thinking of some some of uh, Holly's other fights, I do think that she is somewhat predictable. She fought the f- perfect fight, as we mentioned yeah. before, against Rousey, yeah. but she is consistently inconsistent, and I think that's a problem yeah. for her. And she may probably you know need to reconsider how she approaches each fight now and making herself unpredictable, you know, because she, I'm, I'm a big fan of hers, but I think that, you know, there's another fighter that needs to change her game. And she is a kickboxing specialist is what I would call her. We just talked about Askren. He's wrestling yeah. specialist, you know, Holly can, uh, she's got good stand up game um, and she's got decent takedown defense, but, but I think she's too predictable there. So. Yeah, I mean, Dana Dana was saying some stuff about her. She is just a, a, a lovely person. Even John Jones was talking about how hard it is to see uh, Holly Holm lose. And I actually think one of the things that's helping John Jones in what appears to be another turnaround of his, of his at least his personal stuff, he seemed much better um, once the fight was over, very kind, very humble, um, gracious to uh, Santos as well as also talking about how uh, he's praying for, for Holly Holm. And so um, I, I do think she's really good for him, just being a great, great person um, and a good training buddy and somebody that, that's a mom and is really encouraging and lovely. Um, but as Dana pointed out, she's, she's pushing 40. She's in her high 30s. She's had a ton, a ton of uh, fight. And, and probably, if you really think about it, has been um, one of the more dynamic – she was a many-time boxing champ, a many-time kickboxing champ. And then in her mid-30s, where most people are kind of trying to get finish their career, she comes over in her mid-30s, beats at the time the greatest women's fighter of all times, although I think now we can generally say it, it's Amanda Nunes. I think that's safe to say. And I also think uh, Ronda was more of the Tito Ortiz. And I don't say that to insult Ronda, but Tito Ortiz is really great. In the early thousands, when the division of 205 was 10 guys, and he was cutting the most weight, and he had a wrestling, and he had strong hands, and, but but he didn't really he didn't really age well because everybody got better than Tito, but he was a recognizable name from the beginning of that uh, generation, and I think that's what's going to happen with Ronda. She's a recognizable name from the beginning, um, but she's not nearly as well rounded. But anyhow, so I, I do think. Um, Holly could come back. I think she has the coaches around her to get better, but it also comes down to motivation. What's the likelihood that she'll fight for another bout? And do you want to become an almost 40-year-old gatekeeper with the legendary career she's had in boxing, kickboxing, and being the MMA champ to the throne? Rousey, nobody could take that away from her. But if I looked at her last seven fights and see losing five, I mean, there's a point where it might just be best um, that, that she goes ahead and does something else. Now, I, I am a fan of hers, and I would love to see her continue to fight, but you know, what are you doing at that point? Are you fighting just because you enjoy fighting? If that's true, come back out here. Hopefully they'll give her some eight, nine-ranked people, and she can kind of become a, a notable gatekeeper. And some people are okay with that, but I, I, don't, I don't really see her career having another turnaround where she'll be competitive for a bout. I just don't see that happening, despite the fact really like Holly. I don't see a time window time-wise where she could win three or four fights and be back ready for about either weight class. I just don't see that, that happening. So it'll be interesting to see what Holly does. Yeah. There's, so there's two fighters in a row that we talked about who took losses 
and they're deep into their MMA careers, their professional careers, who definitely need to make adjustments. But are they at the point now where they they can and it's going to be a marked improvement? I I don't know if that's the case. I think for either of them, I would go more towards Holly being the one to uh, to make a noticeable improvement. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, some things she's – you know, I've seen her do in the past, and I think Askren is going to be more likely to, you know, be bullheaded, so to speak, and say, this is what got yeah. me and this is what I'm going with. Yeah, the teachability of Holly, I think, is already there, considering she's already transitioned through three combat sports of boxing, kickboxing, and MMA, and, uh, and truly loves it. She's got a great team around her, and I do agree. I think even though she's the older fighter with the more – Miles, probably because of all the fights she's been in, I do think she is the camp, and I think she's the type of person that does want to want to keep challenging herself. And if that's the case, more power to her. I would love to keep seeing her fight, but she does tend to lose fights. In this case, this is against the greatest female um, MMA fighter ever, um, the only female champ champ. And something that I will point out if it happens, and we'll talk about more later, there has yet to be a champ champ. I'm not a big fan the champ champs there's yet to be a champ champ that defended the belt that they originally had um obviously everybody knew conor mcgregor wasn't ever going to do that um i i called it the day conor mcgregor knocked out although i was watching it with then my my fight gym and i and i said he'll never fight at 145 again seconds after he had won and of course he never has and never will um i think daniel cormay had a chance to go back down to 205 but given his age and given the fact that the cuts been tough and that John Jones is down there it does make sense for him to stay at heavyweight nothing against him but you're not much of a champ champ in my mind if you don't defend one of the belts both like you've got to defend both belts and I would say that Amanda Nunes is already a better champ champ than any other previous champ champ because which has only been a couple because she was a 135 pound champ she went up to 145 and won it and then she returned to her original Connor didn't do that um uh, I, I guess we'll see whether or not Henry Sahuda does it. There is a chance he has talked about going back to 125. Hopefully he does. Um, but, but I think there's kind of two levels of being a champ champ. There's winning it. Okay, that's done. Okay, you're a champ champ. You got to go back to your original weight class and win, which she's done. And then you got to go back to your second weight class and win, which she's talked about doing. She wants to, re, um, she wants to rematch Cyborg, and Cyborg does not want to rematch her. So Dana said they've got to try to figure out if there's anybody at 145. Cyborg was the 145-pound division. There's really no other fighter that's actually a 145-pound female fighter there. So it'll be interesting to see if she does it. But I do hope they give her the opportunity to do it because that will make her the first champ champ to go back down to her original weight class win and then go back up to the secondary weight class and win. Although Henry does have a chance to do that with 125, 135. And I would like him to do both because I think if you don't do both, you're not really, you're not really a champ champ in action. You've got both, like Cormier. I will never say anything bad against Cormier, but he's not really defending his championship in both divisions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, with the way that the UFC has gone about this champ-champ business, I'm not a fan of it at all. What we see right. is one fighter who runs through his division, or maybe not runs through, but makes a statement with uh, two, three, maybe four fights in a row, fights for the title, and then wins that, uh, maybe goes on to – uh, you know, one or two title defenses and then says, I want a shot at the weight class above me and, and go for that. Right. And in the case of Cejudo, 
obviously he won at 125 and 135. I just I don't think it's fair to the 135 pound division because yeah, although he won the belt, I don't see him as the true 135 pound division champion because he fought one fighter. If you want to be considered right. a true champ, champ, take fights at both 125 and 135. Right. Go through the division and, and show this is something that you can do. So I've never been a fan of that at all. Yeah, I was a huge fan of Conor McGregor's his his antics away from the ring have uh, have greatly tur- turned me away from him. Don't know if he'll ever fight again. That's you know a discussion for another podcast. But when he became champ, champ after taking the belt from Alvarez, I thought that was that was a pretty cool thing. But he's never defended a belt. And no. for Cejudo now, he's got to do the same thing. And I just don't see that it is something that I – don't, I don't think Dana is going to stop doing it. So, you know, we could talk all day long till we're blue in the face about this. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know what Dana is going to do in the UFC. And they're going, to, they're going to put on the fights that they think sell the most tickets and bring in the most money with the pay-per-views. So super fights, I'm a big fan of. Have two guys go out there and put their records on the line, throw the belts away, and let's see who the last man is standing at the end of that fight. Forget about the belts. I love fights like that. But I, I think you water down title and the belt when you do stuff like champ champ and one fighter comes in and fights for a belt where he's never fought. Right in that division before. Well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And obviously the main event or co-main event was John Jones defending his, his title versus Santos. And I'd say it took everyone by surprise. Um, John said later that he was surprised that it was a split decision that he thinks he won. And there's plenty of people that think that it should not have been a split decision. What do you, way do you see it? Do you think it was close enough to give Santos the split decision in the sense that yes, he could have possibly won, or do you see it more like, well, that's weird that they even thought it was a split decision? No, I don't think it was weird that they thought it was a split decision because the way I look at title fights is when you, if you're going to win a round, take a round away from the champ, you have to do it decisively. Whether that's right or wrong, that's my opinion, and I, I see right. where – I see both sides of the argument for this particular fight. And it could have easily gone the way of Diago Santos and him walking away with the belt. But in a title fight, I think you have to display clear, maybe not dominance, but uh, superiority over your opponent when you are challenging the title holder. And if you do anything less than that and – it's going to be a question in the eyes and the minds of the judge and judges, then I give that round to the champ and the, t- the title holder. Right. So, right. And, and the one thing that John Jones and, and, and if, if our audience has a chance, check out um, some of his post fight. He was very complimentary, um, talked a lot about wanting to get better, said that holes in his game, particularly low kicks, checking kicks and taking too many kicks. Uh, there was a great kicking game on Santos's and, um, but, um, but something he said, which I thought was, was humble and hopefully a change in John Jones personal mindset is he would give, he would give Santos the first round. He said, yep, 
I think Santos won the first round, more aggressive. I was not on my timing. He was more effective in striking. Now, he wouldn't give him any other rounds other than the first. Um, so, obviously, he kind of disagreed with the 48-47 against him. But I do think it was it was nice for John Jones to say, yeah, th- this guy clearly won the first round. Um, and, and I think for, for John Jones to admit that definitely shows Santos had it going on. It's also important to point out that during the first round, Santos clearly injured his knee. And he did say afterwards through an interpreter, which I thought was fun, that I injured my knee, but it wasn't anything that um, – that John Jones did, and that's true, right? It, it clearly wasn't. It was maybe a, a, a weakness, possibly he was injured, or maybe he put his foot down wrong. But but the thing with fighting that is so hard for people that like like basketball or football or some other organized, there's no injury timeout. If I'm the greatest quarterback of all times, uh, uh, Tom Brady, um, he gets uh, – I hate to even say it. That's why I was coughing. Um, <laughs> sticks to my throat. But even he – when, when he gloriously got his ACL torn, and I was so happy. Hey, here's the thing. He doesn't keep playing, not because he's a wimp, but because you don't play injured in, in, the, in the NFL. If you're, at, if you're injured, I mean, some do, but if you're injured, you get taken out and your backup comes in. That just doesn't happen in fighting. And it was funny. You could go back and find it's ridiculous because Wyman should have never done it. But Chris Wyman actually took credit at, that said that it was planned and it was purposeful for him to break Anderson Silva's leg. Because because Chris Wyman was so frustrated that people are like, well, Anderson Silva did it to himself. Because he did do it to himself, Chris. He did. Like, he did do it to himself. Um, and I think it's hard sometimes when fighters get injured, not from what their opponent did. Um, but obviously, he still fought on. He gave John Jones a great fight. Jones has said that he knows he's going to face him again. Doesn't really want to do an immediate rematch. And it doesn't sound like Dana wants to do an immediate rematch either. But hats off to Santos and John. Jones said that he thinks Santos should return to Brazil as, quote, king of Brazil because of how – and he's right. I mean, how close the fight was, um, that, that he fought through injury, and he gave John Jones a, a great battle. Um, I would still say in my mind that Alexander Gustafson won and even the Daniel Cormier won, but definitely the Alexander – Gustafson, number one, uh, was probably a harder test for John Jones. Um, certainly, if you remember John Jones' face after Alexander Gustafson won, which you do, um, he was all banged up. That's the time he had that huge, he had the huge pad up on his forehead from an elbow, and he was, it was his first time he was ever taken down. I mean, it was a, it was a much, much different situation. He did mention several times. Um, and, and maybe this is the cerebral approach that GSP ended up getting towards then of his career. John Jones is like, I don't want to get hit in the head. So what I'm doing is I'm avoiding getting hit in the head. He said it. He knew people were booing. I think it was still a very exciting fight. I, I do think John Jones might have fallen in love a little bit too much for his own good with the concept of he's a black belt in Muay Thai. I want to beat him in kickboxing. It was kind of funny to hear John Jones say, hey, this guy's been doing kickboxing for 20 years. I've only been doing it for 10. Because John Jones is known for his kickboxing. So it did seem a little strange. Right, and sometimes yeah. John Jones will get at this. Yeah, it was funny to hear him talk about himself. Like, well, you guys know I'm not good at kickboxing. It's like, uh, yes, you are. You're clearly great at kickboxing. That's how you ended it, to get the title for a Shogun. I know he's a wrestler. He would still consider himself a wrestler. But if you watch his ascent, it wasn't just wrestling. It was all of his incredible strikes. So uh, 
but we'll do this, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed in a way because I really did think that John Jones should have been able to finish him. And obviously hats off to Santos. I'm, I'm happy that there's depth in 205. I think Santos should get another fight uh, against somebody like Anthony Smith, maybe, or somebody along those lines, um, and then see who fights from there. Or even that Jan, I can't say his last name, but the guy who just knocked out Luke Rockholt. That would be, to me, that's not an insult. I don't think that would be an insult to Santos, have Santos fight um, the guy who knocked out Luke Rockhold, and then that's the number one contender again. I mean, I think Santos is still right there. Um, but John did, he must have said it over 10, 15 different times in his post-fight interviews that, yeah, I probably should have taken him down. Yeah, I probably could have gotten the finish on Yeah, I probably could have. And I think to some degree, that's just who John Jones is. He's so talented that it's kind of mean of me to be like, John Jones, you won, but you should have finished him. I still think he probably should look for the finish more than he did. Um, but he did admit that he didn't want to get punched in the head by him. Why would you? And he was doing a game plan to keep his head safe. And it was exciting. I don't think it was a bad fight. But it is a little frustrating um, that John Jones can see opportunities. He even said he could count opportunities for takedowns and let them go by. Uh, I, I guess that's he's a fighter. He can make those decisions. I, I, I think I'd always appreciate Mighty Mouse Johnson more as like a pure fighter because he was finishing fights 10 seconds to go after 25 minutes, right? And I think that's something that John Jones, I would like to see him get back to is if you see a, if you see a takedown opportunity, take Santos down and submit him on the ground or ground and pound him with elbows through his head like he did, uh, uh, like he did the janitor the Russian janitor guy when he crucifixed him and elbowed him in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's just me. That's just me being a little bit, listen, I am in love with the new attitude of John Jones. And if John Jones wants to fight like he fights and be a better guy outside, that's kind and, and genuine, or at least appears genuine and talks about praying and talks about being humble and wanting to, uh, wanting to improve his game and that his game's not perfect. That John Jones I'll take. The John Jones that says, praise my opponent. He should be king in Brazil. He's a great guy. I'll take that John Jones. So I don't want to see the John Jones that's throwing up the suck it sign and doing all that craziness and being cheap and cheating and doing all that stuff to Daniel Cormier. So if this is the the better improved John Jones with a little bit more um, genuineness, hopefully, um, and maturity, I'll take it. And if he fights more like GSB did towards later of his career, which was more intellectual, then I'll, then I'll take it. So what's your opinion on the game plan John Jones used? And do you think he should have done more to try to finish it? I don't know if, I don't know if he could have done more to try and finish it because we talked before and I, I made mention of the explosiveness of Santos, but sure, he, sure. he showed a, a different side of his fight game that, I'm not sure many people were expecting to see. And he showed not just patience, but going back, this is like the, um, the theme of this podcast, um, Fight IQ. And he, he fought a very yep. smart fight. Now, on the, uh, on the actual broadcast side, Rogan had made mention of Santos and his injured knee and had speculated yeah. if that knee was not injured, how different would the fight be? And could I, be different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that side to it, but I wonder if the injury caused Santos to be oh. a smarter fighter instead of had there been no injury, would he have been more haphazard 
in his more reckless right overload you're right because i did criticize him on on our preview about overloading and charging too much and you might be right maybe that that more uh reserved technical style came from the injury good good thinking on that yeah that's that's where i think it came from that's my opinion but you know i guess we will find out if there is a second fight I don't see that coming down the line, at least not anytime soon, because I think his name is Jan Kovich. Um, that's the yeah. guy that knocked out Rockhold. So he's waiting right. in the wings. I think Anthony Smith is somewhat of a legitimate contender. I would have liked to see Smith, Lionheart Smith, take on Gustafson before he fought John Jones. But Gustafson was already matched up with John Jones. And with that long layoff, I thought that there's a fighter who is going to display some ring rust once he gets back in. Because I think it was like two years before Gus's fought. But he had to take that opportunity because, you know, what were his chances of getting another title shot? You know, uh, probably a very small percentage of that window opening again for him if he took somebody else as an opponent before John Jones. So – right. I think Anthony Smith has definitely one more opponent, maybe two more opponents um, to tune up and get ready for, for John Jones again. I think Lahovich and Anthony Smith are probably more likely to happen. But, uh, you know, who, who knows? And, and there's also Johnny Walker. I mean, he's still exactly. fresh. But there's Johnny Walker. I like his height, obviously. There's always going to be – he's very tall. There's always going to be a height game with John Jones. Um, Really, the only person that's been as tall as he, as far as fighting or close to it, has been the Mauler, as in the Cubson, who really does look retired at this point. Fighters can always come back, um, but but he seemed pretty greedy, more like it was a thoughtful decision, and he's always been uh, a pretty sincere guy. So I actually think that we might have seen the last of the Mauler in the in the cage, and and if he comes back, I doubt he'd ever put himself in a situation to fight John Jones again. He's lost twice. And now he's been losing to some lower-ranked talent. But 205 is there. You know, Dana kind of goes back and forth. Sometimes he'll say what I think is true, which is we'll get – there's always contenders. When people say, oh, who are you going to get to fight fill-in-the-blank? Randy Couture or fill-in-the-blank of uh, GSP. There's always contenders. And, but, but then there's also times where he acts like, yeah, John Jones has cleared, cleared out the division because he obviously wants Jones – to consider going to heavyweight to fight DC. That's a fight I still want to see. It, I don't think it's I don't think it's happening. Whether we want to say it's because John Jones is concerned that DC at heavyweight is a different animal, which I think you and I both know he is, um, or 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 not. But John Jones has really settled on being a two hundred five, and he he's talking about wanting to fight in December. Uh, at 205, and he has not mentioned heavyweight for at least a year, year and a half. So I think he's going to continue to to pound down on the uh, 205, and 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 good for him. You know, Anderson Silva. Yes, he fought a little bit at 205, but Anderson Silva will always be remembered as probably the greatest to ever do it at 185. I think GSP probably is the greatest to ever do it. But if if, if you have to give him that weight class 170, although he did win at 85, and John Jones will be the greatest to ever do it. At, at 205, no offense to DC. I still think he's the greatest at 205. And we'll see with the rematch. I, I think the rematch between DC and Stipe is more historically important because um, Stipe is 
uh, on paper, meaning that he's defended the title more than any other than any other champion. That's kind of hard to to throw up against DC because I think without Dane, uh, without without uh, oh my goodness, uh, without his training buddy um, Kane Vasquez, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, I think he could have still been potentially undefeated at heavyweight. And and just smashing guys at every rate, never going down to two or five. But it'll be interesting to see because I I personally will root for for Stipe. I'm a big Stipe fan, and I think him coming back and fighting um, and fighting DC if he wins will will allow Stipe to continue um, and maybe even do another record run. Um, but but in the same way, I think DC will will, will potentially win that fight and, and then consider retiring or at least. What, what's another fight? The Brock Lesnar fight's not going to happen, which he really wanted. The, the 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 John Jones fight. DC will take a John Jones fight. He'd probably take a John Jones fight at fifty, at heavyweight. But um, so we'll we'll see kind of how that goes. I know I'm getting off, but I did like John Jones' attitude afterwards, and and I do think a more mature, um, calm John Jones is probably good for just everybody. Even if it's not great for his fighting, it's definitely good for for him as a person, and and so I so hopefully he's back on a good road, and and, and we'll kind of see. I, I think overall the card was great. Obviously the basketball fight didn't go su- super long, but I think it went really well. Oh, and one last comment, just as we wrap up, and then you can end it is Luke Rockwell probably needs to retire. Um, the the constant over cockiness. It's kind of annoying, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think this is a matter of him being over cocky. He has been flatlined by several guys at 185 and now injured or very badly. Dana's saying he has a broken jaw. It, it, it just seems like going up in weight when you're already getting knocked out by 185ers isn't a great idea given the fact that they're bigger, stronger to a fight, but it's also he can't make 185. I think that's legitimate. His body's hurting. He, uh, he had a short run at the title, but the reality is uh, he was still a good he was still a good fighter, and and it's probably time for him. I mean, you just can't keep getting knocked out in the fashion he's getting knocked out. It really shows that either his chin's gone, or his technique isn't improving, or both, because it was the same hook left hook knockout that Bisping did against him. That certainly seems that he's leaving himself open to the same issue, and also you, you can't strengthen your your head. You can't strengthen your jaw. His jaw has been cracked, um, and, and I think it's time for Luke, even more than a Holly Holm, although I think Holly Holmes uh, might have some, have some damage on her. But I really think Luke needs to, needs to retire, and, and I think he probably knows that given you, you jump up to 205, he was kind of talking about a title fight against John Jones had he won. Um, and I believe Dana would have done that because we just talked for what five minutes about how who's John Jones going to fight. And I think if a former 185 champ comes in, looks absolutely incredible, and just annihilates the number seven, number six ranked guy, um, I think uh, top ten guy. I I think yeah, throw him up against John Jones, but obviously that's not at all feasible. And and I, I wish Luke a good recovery because we're named after each other and I would love for him to, to just recover, particularly if it is a broken jaw. So um, I, I think in many ways that was, that was my disappointment even more than Ben, because I, I kind of wanted Luke to have at least a, a little bit of success at 205, but it doesn't look like it'll be happening. So what are your final thoughts on the, on the car? I think overall it was, it was an exciting card. We had um, some highlight real knockouts, things that will definitely be shown in promos leading up to uh, other events. But I, 
I was happy to see the outcomes as they played out uh, just from a, a fan perspective. A little disappointed on uh, the picking side. And, but, but that's all going to change, Luke, because I, okay. uh, I gave you two in a row to make yourself feel good about things, but that's all going to okay. change going forward. All right. All right. Well, I take that challenge and I think, I think it's great that we're keeping track of our predictions and, and you know what? MMA is a crazy sport and things happen. And even the, even the best predictors don't get it, don't get it right. And you're right on at least one fight every time. So I think you're, I think you will improve and, and there might be a day where I get, uh, just completely 0-3 or something. So it'll be interesting, and I do look forward to another prediction. For our listeners out there, please check out our, our Red versus Blue Corner series. We've got a lot of great stuff coming out. Um, people we're going to be interviewing in the future, people we've already interviewed that we're going to be posting. So check that out. It's going to be some great stuff, and we hope to continue to follow the career of these high-level elite, um, elite regional fighters as they push towards Dana White contender series we've got really a lot of really good fights coming up we also have um some interviews coming up regarding 247 fighting championships which is in pittsburgh that's now only about two weeks away and so we're going to be there live to cover it and be involved in 247 fighting championships so we're really excited about what's coming up aren't we jim 100 percent. so as luke said lots All right. of good stuff coming up and we know you want to tune in we got good stuff coming up and just as a uh, a teaser um, USC 240, which is happening uh, a few weeks away from now. Um, but that one, Luke and I are going to have uh, picks for two different fights on that. So stay tuned for that one. That's podcast you're not going to want to miss. So for myself, Luke Payson, we want to thank you for listening to MMA FanCast. And that's it for Pitt.